on. I'm on Tonight on Ithaca Now. Look, there goes the game. The director of Tompkins County's Office of Human Rights was placed on unpaid leave for unclear reasons, and Ithaca groups are responding. The Handworker Gallery in Ithaca is celebrating its 40th anniversary this weekend. This year, all of our exhibitions are themed around time, but specifically around volumetric time, so nonlinear time. This Tuesday is Election Day, marking a year of President Donald Trump being in office. We talked to Ithaca residents about the past year. He's like changed his views a little bit about the immigration policy just because of the way that the government works and like checks and balances and stuff, but that's still a problem. All that and more tonight on Ithaca Now. Good evening and welcome to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Will Carlson, and thank you for joining us. For tonight's show, WICB correspondents Hannah Bracinger and Bronte Cook look into the Director of Human Rights in Tompkins County and why she was placed on unpaid leave. But first, we'll turn to Sophie Johnson and Benjamin Laufer for this week's Community Beat. Mayor Savante Myrick initiated SWIFT 911, a notification system that will send news and emergency notices through an app to residents. This also comes with the removal of the odd-even parking rule during winter months to allow for snow removal. Residents will instead be notified through SWIFT 911 of when odd-even parking is required. Cornell Cinema is losing funding after over 50 years on campus. This came from the Student Assembly Appropriations Committee's annual budget vote on Monday. Cornell Cinema has a plan to be financially independent from the Student Assembly by 2019. Low attendance at Cornell Cinema's screenings partially led to this, and now students at Cornell are protesting the results of this vote. The inauguration of Ithaca College President Shirley Collado took place yesterday morning. This inauguration weekend was also the college's alumni weekend, family weekend, and the 125th anniversary of the founding of Ithaca College. The Ithaca College community heard performances from the school's jazz ensemble, choir, and a poetry reading by A. Van Jordan, Coyado's husband. Coyado began her presidency over the summer following the controversial resignation of former president Tom Rochon. Tompkins County discussed joining a statewide coalition of counties working to sue opioid manufacturers. On Wednesday, the Government Operations Committee discussed claims of manufacturers intentionally giving misleading information to doctors and patients about the addictive natures of the medication. Committee members want to potentially recover damages from manufacturers that could help pay for the costs of drug addiction programs and services. The city of Ithaca was designated a clean energy community on Monday by the New York State Energy Research and Development Agency. Ithaca joined 110 other clean energy communities across the state because of its leadership in energy use reduction and propelling clean energy use. This designation allows the city to apply for a $100,000 grant to go toward further advancing renewable energy. Voters across New York State turned to the polls this coming Tuesday, November 7th, to decide whether or not to hold the Constitutional Convention in 2018. Issues of concern include campaign finance reform, redistricting, marijuana legislation, and greater control over counties. The possibility of a New York State Constitutional Convention is up for a vote every 20 years, but the last one was in 1938. Some voters think this could be the year due to a pushback to the Trump administration. For Sophie Johnson, I'm Benjamin Laufer, WICB News. Karen Baer is the Director of Human Rights for Tompkins County. Recently, she was placed on unpaid leave for unclear reasons, and members of the community are responding. WICB correspondents Hannah Bracinger and Bronte Cook report. I'm going to start with comments, if we may. Uh, if I should mispronounce anyone's name, please correct me when you get the microphone. It's not on Monday night, dozens of concerned Tompkins County residents filed into the legislative chambers at the Tompkins County Legislature building. They all just had one goal in mind, 
to speak out for the Tompkins County Office of Human Rights and its director, Karen Baer. Baer is the only person of color serving as department head in the county. She was recently placed on unpaid leave under unclear and unexplained circumstances. Let's back up. Ithaca's Showing Up for Racial Justice, better known as Surge, says that on October 13th, Bear was, quote, abruptly taken out of her office by county human resources employees who did not know why she was being removed, only that they were, quote, just following orders. After being questioned by the Ithaca Voice, county officials refused to explain the situation, citing their inability to discuss personnel matters. Here's what we know. In 2015, Baird made claims of discrimination against Tompkins County. The legislators' negative response to this claim provided the basis to her second claim that legislators engaged in a, quote, pattern of retribution and exclusion and a pattern of systematic and institutional discrimination against women and people of color. Attorney Timothy Taylor was hired to investigate Bear's most recent claims against the county, and he said after reaching out to Bear, she refused to cooperate in the investigation. However, Bear's own attorney claims that Bear never received information from Taylor regarding the process and procedure of the investigation. We also know that just two weeks prior to being placed on leave, Bear published an opinion piece in the Ithaca Voice. In the article, she voiced that the Office of Human Rights has struggled to gain support from Tompkins County officials. In this article, Bear included statements actually made by people in positions of power in Tompkins County regarding the Office of Human Rights. These statements include, quote, the system isn't broken, so we don't need to fix it, and quote, I don't feel too comfortable with the Human Rights Commission people being involved. In the article, Bear also emphasized that, now more than ever, we need to fight for human rights and work for systematic changes. While Bear says she feels as though her demands for justice may have triggered her removal, the county assures this had nothing to do with her termination. Regardless, her article and her removal from her position raised a crucial question within the community. Is the Office of Human Rights failing to receive adequate support from the city of Ithaca? Many residents seem to think so, but the Tompkins County Legislature is denying these claims. At the Monday night legislative meeting, a council member made the following statement in response to the unusual amount of community members packed into the room. Uh, for those of you who are here to discuss the county's commitment to the Office of Human Rights, uh, I want to provide some clarity and assurance. The speaker went on to state various statistics that showcase the county's support for the Office of Human Rights. For example, Tompkins County is one of 13 out of 57 counties outside of New York City to fund a human rights office at all. In addition, the department has received the exact budget amount that it requested. The legislature claimed that Tompkins County is, and will continue to be, the most generous county in New York State in terms of human rights office funding. Bottom line is, is that we're, whether we're measured by budget or staffing level, we stand head and shoulders above any other county in New York State. But various community members don't agree that these statistics truly prove that the county fully supports the Human Rights Office and its initiatives. The, the numbers that you just gave were fantastic. The statistics are great, but it doesn't mean anything if a person who is leading the agency is not, is not willing or seems to represent the community that has come to them. That was Jabron Hagelin, an Ithaca resident who says the Human Rights Office provided him support after he faced housing discrimination in the county. Jabron says that while these statistics are important, having a person of color in the office was equally vital to the success of the department. A lot of times these agencies are headed by Caucasian white males or, or, or white females, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that, but it's very uncomfortable sometimes to have uh, someone, a Caucasian person at the head of the realm to talk about discrimination issue. It was very comforting to have Ms. Bears and Xavier there. I think that's very important to have a person of color in that leadership role. So I'm here in support of Ms. Bears and the human rights. Tompkins County resident Liz Brundage teared up as she shared her hopes that the county remains a community that fights for and prioritizes human rights. Karen has been an inspiring guest lecturer for my students. I've observed how deeply she's committed to addressing discrimination on the basis of race, disability, sexual orientation, and all other prohibited grounds. How she empowers her staff and how she energizes community members. These values of human dignity and equality that are embodied by the Office of Human Rights 
by the county's stated commitment to diversity through inclusion, and by my own experience of collaboration with Karen and her staff, are honestly one of the main reasons that I moved into the county after my daughter was born. More than anything in these divisive and violent times, I want my daughter to be able to grow up in a community that courageously confronts the problems it faces and that's committed to making human rights a reality for all of its members. Among those in public support of the Office of Human Rights is Surge, who publicly shared their concern as a human rights organization about the removal of Bear from her position. Kay Cardona, a Surge representative, shared the group's public statement at the Monday meeting. So while there are pieces of the story that we don't know, we do know the following. This is not the first time that the county legislature has attempted to weaken the OHR. Very few people know the actual reason for Karen's termination. Karen was the only person of color who served as a department head and took a courageous risk by speaking out about the legislature's lack of adequate action around local human rights issues. History has shown time and time again that when people of color, and particularly women of color, speak truth to power, their voices are shut down and they often face dire consequences. And, last but not least... My name is Karen Baer, and I live in the town of Ithaca. Bear herself denies the allegations that have been made against her and plans to fight the charges legally. At Monday's meeting, she made a powerful statement drawing comparisons between her African ancestors who faced oppression in America for centuries and the obstacles she, herself, is facing as a woman of color today. I tell you this story because it is also my story. In September of 2013, I came to Tompkins County after being given the opportunity to be the Director of Human Rights. Doing human rights work has been my life, and I have done it well. And nothing that is said by others behind closed doors to besmirch my character or question my abilities changes that. And I believe that my efforts and the work of the Office of Human Rights will live on regardless of the systemic attempts to render OHR staff and their work invisible. And I dare say as I look around the room that there are many similar stories to be told. But I am standing here to tell you that the absence of opportunities for persons of color is no coincidence. Disenfranchisement is not the result of uncontrolled variables or non-diverse applicant tools or happenstance. It is the result of deliberate and orchestrated strategies executed by people in power, whether they be historical or happening in real time. Strategies intended to exclude, oppress, and disappear people of color. My story and those of my ancestors are not isolated ones. In many ways, it has become the never-ending story of racism in America. And I Bear went on to discuss an incident that she feels illustrates the county's lack of support towards the Office of Human Rights. In the recalled incident, Bear stated that, at a previous legislation meeting back in May, her and her coworker presented multiple LGBTQ initiatives they had made to the legislature. When she later looked up the officially approved minutes for the meeting on the county's website, however, the presentation nor her own presence at the meeting was ever even acknowledged. Disenfranchisement is not the result of uncontrolled variables or non-diverse applicant tools or happenstance. It is the result of deliberate and orchestrated strategies executed by people in power, whether they be historical or happening in real time. Strategies intended to exclude, oppress, and disappear people of color. And as long as others stay silent, these strategies of oppression succeed. And yes, I'm standing here because I need my job back, and I desire to be reunited with my staff, but I also ask that you help me press for real change in how we address complaints of discrimination and how we protect people who give voice to them. Retaliation is not an option. We must do better, and my hope in the end is that we reach consensus about increasingly, the increasingly vital role that human rights protections play, not only for persons of color, but for everyone in this county. And that we, as a community, meet one necessary condition, Sustained grassroots support for human rights promotion and protection and a government that is responsive to the voices of the people.
Karen Bear's leave is in effect for 30 days until the county decides whether or not she will be officially terminated. While her path to resuming her position as Director of Human Rights may be an uphill battle, she has the support of Surge and other Ithaca groups every step of the way. For Bronte Cook, I'm Hannah Bracinger, WICB News. The Handworker Gallery, a local art spot on Ithaca College's campus, turns 40 this year, and they held a special event on Saturday to celebrate. WICB correspondent Elena Peach was there and gives us a look into some of the new exhibits on display. In addition to the celebration for Ithaca College's 125th birthday, another venue on campus is celebrating an anniversary of its own. This weekend marked the 40th anniversary of Ithaca College's Handworker Gallery. Tying into all of the celebrations, Mara Baldwin, the director of The Handworker, picked Shapes of Time as this year's gallery theme. This year, all of our exhibitions are themed around time, but specifically around volumetric time, so nonlinear time. So what does it mean or feel like um, when time is understood as a stack or layers? What does it feel like when time is understood cyclically? Fitting in with the theme of time, the gallery unveiled three new exhibitions on Wednesday. These exhibitions were Another Time by Anna von Mertens, Stay a While, a Cabinet of Curiosities from the Collections of Ithaca College, and Objects and Apparitions by Christine Elfman. Jade Cardachon is a senior cinema and photography major at Ithaca College and also a student employee at the gallery. She says these three new exhibitions have led to increased foot traffic at the gallery. Baldwin agrees, too. So it's the 125th anniversary of Ithaca College, as well as the 40th anniversary of the Handworker Gallery. So typically on a Friday morning, there's like four to five students who show up at the Handworker Gallery, but today we actually had 17 people come in. So I think that just really represents the popularity of this exhibition. So since the exhibition has opened, we've had about 150 students come, and it's, it only opened yesterday, so that's that's a pretty large amount, um, especially for Ithaca College, and it's only the first two days, so I'm excited to see what's going to happen within these couple of weeks. We're, expanding, we're expecting increased foot traffic this weekend, um, both in celebration of Alumni Weekend, Family Weekend, the 125th, but then also significantly the 40th anniversary of the Handworker itself. Uh, the Handworker was founded in 1977 by Murray Handworker, and his son Bill Handworker and his wife Amy are both here to help celebrate the legacy of what this gallery has um, added to the campus community. And it's wonderful to see how it has grown over the 40 years. In case the new voice threw you off, that was Amy Handworker. Now, she's not the Handworker, as in the original founder of the gallery. That was Murray Handworker. Amy, however, is married to Murray's son, William. Both William and Amy Handworker stopped by the gallery for its 40th anniversary. William says his father was a large supporter of having an outlet for students and community members to learn about the arts. My parents felt very strongly that um, one of the main focuses that they were looking for this gallery to uh, maintain and flourish is the participation of the student body, the faculty, and the surrounding community. Following the visions of Murray Handworker, Carter Schoen hopes her time as a gallery employee will fine-tune her skills for art curation. Working at the Handworker Gallery is an incredible opportunity for me because I am a senior and I'm doing my photo senior thesis. So it's just an amazing experience to see how everything is curated and installed and then finally exhibited to the public. And the public has more chances to visit the Handworker Gallery. More information can be found online at ithaca.edu slash handworker slash events. For WICB News, I'm Elena Peach. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear from Ithaca residents as they reflect on the election of President Donald Trump one year later. This is Ithaca Now on 91.7 FM. Did you know that Tompkins County has one of the highest rates of runaway and homeless youth in the state? Young people who aren't staying at home face real danger, not having enough to eat, being taken advantage of, dropping out of school, or worse. Family and Children's Service of Ithaca's Open Doors program supports families who are at a breaking point. 
If you or someone you know is having troubles at home, call 607-273-7494. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. I'm your host, Will Carlson. This Tuesday is Election Day, and that means it's almost been a full year since Election Night 2016, where Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump squared off during the presidential election. WICB correspondents Ryan King, Jamie Duncan, and myself take a look at President Donald Trump one year later and how a year in Trump's America has affected the people of Ithaca. Here's the big board, the 20 electoral votes from the state of Pennsylvania. We just got new metrics in. Donald J. Trump is the president of the United States. It's almost been a full year since Donald J. Trump took the nation by storm during the 2016 presidential election. His fiery rhetoric struck a chord with the heartland and different areas of the country. And this was at a time where anger towards the federal government had grown to new heights, as political commentators and journalists pointed out last November. He campaigned on radical changes to immigration, pushed an America-first foreign policy, and promised to end the Affordable Care Act. His outsider standing in the world of politics helped him stand out from others in his party and solidified his image as someone beyond the influence of Washington politics. One year later, we had two simple questions for the people of Ithaca. What has changed in the past year? And how do you now view the 45th president of the United States? I'm just blown away by the things he says. And it just, it makes no sense to me the way he runs this country. He, lo- he loves to make grand statements with no substance behind them. That's, it seems like that's all he's capable of doing. Just, Even before the general election, President Trump used social media as a main way of communicating with the American voter. As president, Donald Trump is still active on social media, and he's more active on Twitter than any other president has been. And there's something else about the Trump presidency. Nearly one full year after he was elected to the highest office in the nation, progress isn't as far along as he had planned. With promises to end the Affordable Care Act, build a border wall, and reform the tax code, the state of the country isn't currently where much of his base would have hoped for. But some believe that it's not necessarily his fault. He's just working to do, like, building the wall. And, like, he's, like, changed his views a little bit about the immigration policy just because of the way that the government works and, like, checks and balances and stuff. But that's still a problem. The country is becoming more divided, um, more, or I, I don't know if it's becoming more or we're just noticing more how intolerant we seem to be as a country instead of embracing our differences people are going out of their way to make everyone else be you know the other but there's another side to the story on the local level some of the initial reactions to the election of president trump from liberal groups to nonprofits were tense but this led to a lot of community involvement and activism we had the women's march back in january On Saturday, January 21st, hundreds of thousands of women, men, and those outside of the gender binary gathered on the National Mall for the Women's March on Washington. In just one day, the mood had gone from one of nationalistic pride to one of passionate dissidence. Along with the Women's March, we had the March for Climate, Jobs, and Justice in April. On Saturday, cities throughout the country and across the globe held people's climate movement marches to show concern for climate change and for many other environmental issues. Ithaca was no different. And Ithaca declared itself a sanctuary city back in February. A legal definition that is sanctuary is very much an emotional definition and a political definition. When President Trump won, it said a lot about the country and about the mainstream media in the U.S. Most major news outlets predicted a solid win for Hillary Clinton. But on November 8th, a lot of people were left asking, how did it happen? Analysts and reporters have pointed out many reasons, from President Trump's focus on key states to his use of the press. But Michael Kiefer offers another perspective. He is a psychologist, author, and the founder of PowerMindTraining.com. And he spoke at Cornell University before the election. He offers another explanation, willpower. Well, I think it had a huge role in the election in that for Donald Trump, he had a tight-knit group of individuals, namely his family, Don Jr., Eric, and Ivanka, and they were all like-minded individuals. 
So they all had the same objective, and basically that was to win the election. Kiefer also says that the media definitely played a huge role. I think he definitely benefited tremendously from the uh, from the media attention, from the focus, like you said, from the conversations. I mean, everybody was everybody was really talking about Trump, whether they were talking about him in a positive way or in many cases talking about him in a negative way. It skyrocketed name recognition, uh, you know, views. There's a ton of time left for new developments from the Trump administration, and there's opportunities to learn from how different groups are reacting. And WICB is interested in hearing your thoughts. To express your feelings about these topics or any local news issues, you can tweet to us at WICB News or call into the station at 607-274-3217. For Ryan King and contributing reporter Will Carlson, I'm Jamie Duncan, WICB News. Fabina Cologne is the director of the Multicultural Resource Center here in Ithaca. She and other groups are looking into issues of systemic racism and how to stop them. We initially spoke with her after a Cornell student was assaulted and called a racial slur by a group. WICB News Director Peter Champelli spoke with Cologne to learn more about their efforts. Thank you so much for joining me in the studio. First, could you just tell me a little bit about what the Multicultural Resource Center is? So the Multicultural Resource Center is a small nonprofit organization that has been in this community for now 30 years. And um, originally the work started with um, intentions to bring more resources in the community for students of color um, to identify with um, and be able to build more understanding of different cultures. Um, so from there, it grew into what it is now. And currently, we do a lot of uh, community organizing work. And we also run a lot of um, projects and partnerships around racial justice, um, racial equity, uh, cultural dignity, and indigenous rights. So our mission is tailored um, to basically serve underrepresented and marginalized um, individuals with lived experience. Um, can you tell me uh, sort of what, what some of those programs um, or initiatives are specific, I guess like maybe recent uh, ones? Yeah. yeah, so some of the recent ones that we had going on was the new Jim Crow Community Book Read, which was a community-wide um, opportunity to basically build awareness of mass incarceration um, and basically systemic racism and why there is there are so many predominantly black and brown people in our prisons, um, how they got there. Um, a lot of this has, uh, there's some historical context that many folks don't know about and don't really learn in school. So that was an effort uh, to actually build that awareness, deepen the conversations around it, and also come up with some action plans to figure out, like, as a community, what can we do to prevent folks uh, from being criminalized? Um, how do we address racism in our community? And also, um, how do we create a support system? Can you tell me more about, I guess, um, maybe future programs or things you're working on currently? Sure. So one of the things that we do at MRC is also um, we do large community events. Um, right now we have coming up the First Peoples Festival, and that is an opportunity for people to come together um, and learn more about the um, history of indigenous peoples of the land. We stand on Cayuga territory, um, and there are many Cayuga Nation members that are living here currently. Um, there is an important history around um how Tompkins County got formed. And actually this year, Tompkins County is celebrating its 200 years um, of, of its formation. And there's a lot of deep history in that, um, that we're hoping to actually uh, teach the community about this Sunday, um, October 1st. And it's going to take place from 11 to 530 at Duet Park. Okay. Um, so th there's events like that. We also have Sister Friends, um, which is an opportunity to bring together women and celebrate womanhood. Um, and we partner with Ithaca College at Emerson Suites is where we have it. And usually this, this takes place in March. Um, but also one of the things that we have going on um, is the Talking Circles on Race and Racism. And that's an ongoing opportunity for folks to come together through facilitated um, dialogue around race and racism, how that has impacted 
um, individual's life on an interpersonal level um, and really uh, connecting the dots to uh, obviously a much bigger issue um, that is ingrained in our system and is based on on racist policies, processes, and practices. So this is an opportunity to bring folks together. And last but not least, we also have the Youth Organizing Fellowship, and that brings together high school students from different high schools around the community um, to build hard skills, um, to be able to be effective organizers in the community and address uh, some social justice issue um, and develop a summer campaign to work together on. I guess along those lines, could you also tell me about like what does uh, this kind of push for systemic change, what does that really look like uh, within these organizations? Uh, yeah. Just because I think that that's something that, uh, like being in journalism, I've like learned a lot about, uh, especially with the issues that I like to cover. Yeah. But um, I think that that's something that kind of can be a little confusing going into it. Like, what does that look like, I guess, from the organization's standpoint? Yeah, so as an organization, um, our priority is to be able to provide resources to individuals, right? Um, and to neighborhoods and the community overall um, around how to basically um, build our capacity to make informed decisions. And something that's really, really important for us is to actually um, be able to build shared language around racism. Um, So I can probably guarantee that if there was 10 people sitting around and I asked each of those individuals how they define racism, everybody would give me a different answer. And based on that answer, people are going to think about developing different, you know, ideas for a solution to end racism. Um, And so building shared language is very important. Learning historical context is also very important. Um, and that is specifically what we want to prioritize. Um, otherwise, we're basically um, bringing people together that have very different experiences, very different viewpoints, um, want to do different things. And it just it does create a lot of confusion around like what steps do we want to take? How do we coordinate? How do we organize together in ways that are um, efficient? So for me, I think systemic change, um, we all have to be on the same page about it. There's different strategies about how to actually get there, but we all definitely have to be on the same page. So um, in our organization, Um, What that actually looks like is really looking at our processes. Um, Who's at the center of the work that we're doing? Whose voices are we prioritizing? So often our, you know, a lot of organizations tend not to get involved in too many political things (laughs) or even language. And our organization is pretty explicit about what it is that we're doing. We're saying that we're not just here to you know, bring social justice. We're specifically um, talking about racial justice. Why? Because race continues to be, racism continues to be brushed under the rug. And we want to be explicit. And what that means is that um, not not that we're being exclusive about the different intersections that that um, come into play with, you know, such as class, gender, sexuality, et cetera, um, but that we are working from a framework and lens that is guided through a racial equity one. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear more from our interview with Fabina Cologne. This is Ithaca Now on WICB Ithaca. This message from WICB. There are hundreds of ways to say yes. Yeah. But there are just as many ways to say no. No. Nay. Nine. Whatever your partner says, respect their decision. If you or someone you know has been affected by sexual assault, call the Advocacy Center of Ithaca at 607-277-5000. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. If you're just joining us, we're hearing from Fabina Cologne, the director of the Multicultural Resource Center here in Ithaca. So I guess I'm going to start basically by saying that if individuals or organizations are in denial that oppression 
um, oppressive behavior does not exist in the fabric of our culture, um, inside and out, then we're, we're already starting in the, on the wrong foot. So I don't think this is a matter of like pointing kind of fingers of like, where is it happening and where is it not happening? It's, it's built into the fabric of our system, which means that it's happening like everywhere. And it definitely speaks, um, you know, um, to the fact that this has been happening for 500 plus years, right? Um, what I think is really important to, to understand around, you, you talked about like how do we create more long-term solutions, right? And so as an individual who is working within a nonprofit um, system, it, it really gets challenging because like the grant funding that we get might have limitations or expectations that kind of um, puts us in a position where we have to like do uh, a lot of reporting and we have to count individuals that are coming to our doors. And that can definitely steer us away from actually um, understanding that we need to work from a place where we treat each other as humans first and, and it takes away that humanity um, that we could potentially and, and do lose um, in doing this work. So I think that a lot of the immediate kind of responses uh, end up being very band-aid approaches. Like, you know... Um, Students get hungry at school. The response is you feed them, right? These are like short-term solutions. And these are some things that a lot of organizations, including institutions such as schools, universities, know how to do very well. We need to, we need to do things differently, right? And for me, systemic change is a long-term solution and it's, and it's, and it's, it requires uh, diverse ideas coming together. Um, I don't have the answer to bring about effective systemic change unless I'm able to come together with our communities to like envision what our liberation looks like because it it's tied to one another's. So um I really think that it's it's easy to react and create these like short term kind of solutions of creating spaces maybe to, uh, you know, have conversations. Uh, the goal should never be to have a conversation or to deepen the conversation. Um, that should be part of the process, but it should it should not be a goal. So, I really think that um, this is an an opportunity not just because of what's happening locally but because of what's happening nationally and even internationally you know our administration is really bringing about this uh, you know cultural kind of narrative that the things that are that are now coming um, to the forefront of people's eyes are normal Right. And that and that it's OK. And we have to push back. Right. We have to push back and say, nope, that's not normal. And that is not OK. And how we are going to come up with ideas for a solution is also also needs to look very different. Like if we if we continue to do the same things that we've been doing for decades, we're going to get the same results. Right. Um, many people keep saying this, but it's really hard to do things differently because people don't know how to. Um, and we need to pave the way together. We need to build that together. And this is an opportunity for the uh, colleges and universities to you know, think about like how uh, do we engage our students? How do we engage community, our local community members and organizations you know, to come up with a long-term plan um, to really start looking at our internal processes. What are the gaps that currently exist? How are we not, um, how can we improve our services? How can we improve the opportunities? How can we reduce barriers to access um, to education to other individuals but that might not otherwise, otherwise have access? Um, 
and it's it's long term work, and there is no one way, right? Um, to find ideas for solution to find a solution, but definitely we can start by admitting, acknowledging that this is happening everywhere, including in our own home. Would you have any recommendations for like first steps or anything for the Cornell administration specifically? Yeah. Um, I mean, I already mentioned that I think it would be a great opportunity to bring together, you know, the the vast resources that exist in our community. And I'm talking about human resources, right? Um, there are many people in this community that have been doing work uh, around systems change, that are doing work around uh, culture shifting, including MRC being one of them, right? And so I feel like institutions need to look at the resources that exist in their communities and tap into them um, rather than bringing maybe outside like expertise. And and let's even let's even have this conversation about uh, where we think uh, expertise actually comes from, right? It comes from the people, um, you know, folks that have um, PhDs and do their research, they're doing their research on something, they're getting their information from somewhere. So like, let's also acknowledge the expertise that people with lived experience and that are most impacted by systems of oppression actually bring to the, to, to the ideas that they bring so that we can actually come up with a solution together. And so for me, I think the first step is um, acknowledging and honoring by including those that are most impacted by systems of oppression in these conversations. And I can't, you know, sit here and say I'm a representative and I know exactly what, you know, needs to happen and what Cornell or, or any institution needs to do because um, I can't represent the entire community. Um, and it's this is why it's really important to have uh, diverse voices in the room. And um, yeah, I think I really think the first step is just to really kind of we, we need to we need to shift uh, mindsets. Right. And we need to be able to create a culture where um, it's OK to say, I don't know how to do this, but we're going to we're going to build it together. We're going to figure it out. Um, and we're here. The community is waiting. Um, and, you know, we, we want to collaborate because this is something that's impacting all of us collectively. And I, I, I can probably confidently say that ultimately our vision is so that we can create a more just and equitable community for our children, like the generations that are to come. Dr. Shirley Collado became the ninth president of Ithaca College yesterday after a formal inauguration ceremony was held at IC's Athletics and Events Center. News Director Peter Champelli and I were live in studio all Saturday morning during the inauguration, where we introduced listeners to the speakers at the event and provided general commentary. During this broadcast, we also played an interview with Dean Diane Dieski, the dean of the Roy H. Park School of Communications. She was on the selection committee, and she told us a bit of her thoughts on President Collado. Thank you for coming into the studio. First, could you um, just introduce yourself? I'm Diane Gajewski. I'm the dean of the Park School of Communications. Uh, more importantly, I'm an alum of the Park School of Communications and uh, had the privilege of being a professor here for a number of years before I became dean. Okay, awesome. Um, so can you tell me, so what was your role in uh, the hiring process or the search process for uh, President Collado? I was a member of the search committee, so uh, I was very involved in the whole process of uh, working with a search firm that was contracted to uh, work on the process. And so I was involved from the very beginning in helping uh, to get out to the community questions that would help us develop a, a search prospectus and the criteria that we wanted um, through uh, many, many rounds of interviews and selection of candidates um, right through the end in, in our help in selecting her. Um, so could you take me through, I guess, um, as in detail as you're allowed to, uh, mm -hmm. could you take me through what, what was the process for uh, hiring President Collado like? And I guess, yeah, just like from the beginning, what was that whole process like? Yeah, good question. So the... Um, the task of selecting a president is, uh, that duty is the uh, Board of Trustees. 
And so it is their duty as a board to select and negotiate with someone. Um, it's their, their role to then launch a process that gets the community as involved as possible so that they can get recommendations and that in the end they can do that final selection and negotiation. So as a part of that, um, the Board of Trustees named a chair who is a member of the Board of Trustees. That was Jim Nolan. And uh, then the board and Jim so, uh, selected a number of members of the Board of Trustees and then representatives from various constituencies on campus. We had two students. Um, we had representatives from faculty and staff. Uh, and I was the uh, administrative representative on that, on that search committee. Uh, an important piece of it was done by a search firm. So for almost all the executive level jobs here at Ithaca, probably Dean and up, um, the college will contract with a search firm that helps to really do outreach to potential candidates and to help do some of the initial screening. Um, and that's a really important role. So we very much partnered with a search firm uh, as we went through the process. So as I said, the first part was really to um, work with a search firm to try to develop what are the characteristics that we wanted to see in our next president. And representatives of the search firm came to campus and held a number of meetings. We sort of advised on the best way of getting that input and when we should um, schedule meetings and where so that we would get a lot of input. But that was a very uh, long and open process to try to hear what we were looking for in terms of the characteristics. Um, and then the search firm um, helped us write a prospectus, which was a pretty long document that describes Ithaca College and the opportunity here, both um, things that are great and are really terrific attributes of the college, as, as well as some of the challenges that we have, and to really accurately portray what we were looking for in our next leader. Uh, and then the search firm uh, really went into high gear to try to attract candidates. One of the interesting things is that most people who are the kind of candidates that you want for a presidential position are not necessarily looking for jobs. Uh, and so part of the search firm uh, is uh, to really go out and to proactively solicit people, to solicit ideas, to solicit people who know people, who might recommend other people, uh, and then to follow up on any of those recommendations. Mm. Uh, so they have a whole team that does that. Um, you know, there were a few advertisements, but frankly, most people don't come through that way. Most people come through based on recommendations or nominations or the search firms having worked with people over the years to place them in other roles okay. and maybe knowing when somebody might be ready for an opportunity like this. So um, they, they work for a, a long time to help develop a list of candidates. Um, and then uh, they use technology in a really good way. There's a very secure website that they uh, they put together where members of the search committee can go in and review all the credentials that are submitted by any candidates who agree to at least start the process with us. So we can see their very long letters that they write about why they're interested in the position as well as their resumes and recommendations from other people, any notes that, the, that people might have from uh, previous conversations with them to get them interested. Uh, and then the search committee will, uh, each person independently, make notes on every candidate and then try to come back into long series of meetings to try to agree about who should be eliminated and who we want to pursue a little bit further. So that whole process took us through the whole summer. Uh, the search was launched uh, in the spring, and then all through the summer we had meetings, uh, sometimes here on campus, but all the meetings with candidates we're in New York City wow. um, at, the, at the search firm headquarters. Mm -hmm. So there were many rounds of meetings with many candidates uh, until we kind of came down to uh, a short list of people that we were interested in. 
We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll hear Ithaca College's newly inaugurated president, Shirley Collado's speech. This is Ithaca Now on WICB Ithaca. It's easier than ever to recycle in Tompkins County. Whether using your curbside bin or the Recycling and Solid Waste Center, you can mix cans, glass, plastic bottles, paper, and cardboard together. Most electronics, appliances, and large, rigid plastics can be dropped off at the Recycling Center. Plus, our food scrap drop spots in Ithaca, Lansing, Dryden, and Trumansburg accept meat, bones and dairy, paper cups, plates, and napkins. Learn more at RecycleTompkins.org. A message from the Tompkins County Solid Waste Division. Want to hear more female artists on the Station for Innovation? Tune in to Eve Out Loud to hear a variety of female-fronted music. Sunday nights at 8 on 92 WICB. Welcome back to Ithaca Now. If you're just joining us, we're listening to part of yesterday's live stream of the inauguration of President Shirley Collado. She gave a speech before being formally inaugurated as the ninth president of Ithaca College, and news director Peter Champelli and I recapped the event at the end of the broadcast. In our country right now, we are seeing what happens when people hide, when they act on their fear, their bias, their rigidity of thought. There's only dogma. To move past this, we must build educational models that force us to look in the mirror, to think about how we can test the boundaries of who gets to be a scholar, who gets to be an educator, who gets access to educational spaces. We move past these barriers through transformative initiatives like the Posse Program which shaped my own undergraduate experience by providing me a faculty mentor and a cohort of Posse scholars who were invested in my success. When boundaries disappear, we can realize the full potential of a residential college campus where everyone is welcome to practice deep intellectual inquiry and everyone is empowered to collaboratively create and consume knowledge. Performance. Ithaca College's deep roots in the performing arts continues to infuse the spirit of our great institution. But for us to thrive over the next 125 years, we must continue to expand our definition of what it means to perform. Performance is ultimately about being responsible for our future, for modeling what our ideal world will look like, when we drive towards this ideal, we can fulfill our responsibility to be a private college that truly serves a public good. One way to do this work is on campus, by crafting a residential college experience that pushes the envelope of established practice. I look forward to developing a model here at IC that positions us as a leader in creating an innovative, inclusive student experience while acknowledging the cross-sector learning opportunities that a residential college can provide our faculty and our staff. Our location and our networks also make this possible. We exist in a rich educational ecosystem here, one that includes a robust community college that spans two counties, a high-caliber K-12 experience, and a land-grant Ivy League institution. We have community partners who are committed to the promise of this city, this town, and this region. We have an engaged, deep, and talented alumni base of partners that are committed to serving as mentors and volunteers. The possibilities for productive, transformative collaborations are limited only by our gumption. When we scale up these connections, we allow people to participate fully in a broad, active learning community. We inspire the development of bravery, courage, respect, empathy, and humanity. When we do these things, when we perform in this outward-facing way, we build partnerships that change us and change our world. This weekend, we're celebrating the evolution of Ithaca College how we began, and the multitude of ways we have grown, and our hopes for the future. 
There are many examples where evolution is used as a justification for oppression, for the supremacy of one species over another, one ethnic group over another. That's not us. Our evolution is equity. Our evolution is inclusion. It is growth. It is our acknowledgement and celebration of our past. It is an eager anticipation of what will happen next. I'd like to go back to that vision that Tom Grape shared with me many months ago, a vision of collaboration, of togetherness. It reminds me that success is not about competition. It is about the company that you keep. And as I look around, I can say with great confidence that we're keeping some amazing company right now. All of us here have the power to create an exceptional future for higher education and for this country. This is an incredible opportunity, and we cannot let it pass us by. Let's work together to advance a vision that affirms our humanity. Let's be daring. Let's be confident. And let's step arm in arm, boldly, into the future. Thank you. On behalf of the Board of Trustees, I present this medallion. With a warm welcome and deep confidence in your success as the ninth president of Ithaca College. You're listening to WICB Ithaca. We're broadcasting the inauguration of Ithaca College's ninth president, Shirley M. Collado. And you just heard President Collado's first speech as an inaugurated president. We at WICB would like to extend our congratulations to President Collado. I'm News Director Peter Champelli, and joining me is WICB producer Will Carlson. This has been a very exciting morning. We've heard from people like Latina author Julia Alvarez and A. Van Jordan, local poet and husband of Ithaca College president Shirley Collado. We also heard some interviews with people in the Ithaca College community, such as Peggy Ryan Williams, who was president of Ithaca College from 1997 until 2008. We also heard the beginning of an Ithaca Now story from last year, which is our weekly news program that you can hear tomorrow night at 7, uh, from correspondents Melanie DeLima and Harrison Malkin. That's all for this edition of Ithaca Now. You can listen to all of our stories on WICB.org. And if you'd like, like to listen to past broadcasts, subscribe to us on the iTunes podcast store. And before we go, we have some thank yous for tonight. Manager of Television and Radio Operations, Jeremy Menard. Our Station Manager, Alex Bredekin. News Director, Peter Champelli. And our correspondents, Sophie Johnson, Benjamin Laufer, Hannah Bracinger, Bronte Cook, Elena Peach, Ryan King, 
Jamie Duncan, Ithaca College's television live event production courts, for contributed audio, and former news director Kelly Kyle. All of the music from our show comes from Dr. Dundiff, hailing from Louisville, Kentucky. Have any feedback for the show? Take our survey at wicb.org slash feedback. Thank you for joining us and have a wonderful week. I'm Will Carlson, and you've been listening to Ithaca Now on WICB Ithaca. Thank you.